Well, it is um, wonderful to have you with us all here today on this glorious Lord's Day. Uh, after the message, we'll be having a, a baptism service, which we're very excited about. And in the first service, it was just um, so moving. We had four that were baptized then, including one child, and same thing in this service, four, uh, three adults and one child, and, and to see the their lives say yes and amen to God and say, we want to follow you. It's really a very moving, moving time. So I trust each of you will be blessed by that as well. Well, we are continuing our series on 50 days of unleashing hope. Uh, many of you have asked, and uh, we apologize for the delay about the books that uh, are coming. They will be shipped tomorrow, which means we will have them for you next week. If you want to get yours before Sunday, be sure and call the church office first and make sure they're here. We don't know what day they will arrive, but um, they will be getting here this week and you will get your books next week. 50 Days of Unleashing Hope. Today we're talking about refocus on the future. Um, summer of 1965. I was 16 years old and my dad had this perverse idea that during the summer vacation, I should have enormous amounts of work to do on the yard. Some of you may have had fathers like that as well. Well, this one particular summer, uh, my dad and I had, uh, we had a chainsaw, and we cut down about 20 eucalyptus trees in our yard. And you know how big they can get. And these, some of them were very old. And, um, and then my job for the summer was to dig out all of the stumps. Yeah, yeah. And if you, yeah, if somebody went, you who? Yeah, you didn't have to do it, you who? <laughs> Yeah, and so these big stumps and eucalyptus trees, this one particular one was big, about three feet in diameter, and tens of thousands of roots that, are, that go and then they head for water. And so these roots are long and they're all over the place. And so we had to dig around the bowl, take, get an axe, cut the, you know, the roots until we could finally move the stump. It was going to be a horrendous job. So about two hours into our job, my friend Leroy was helping me. We finally got so exhausted, we didn't know what we were going to do, it just wasn't working. So as a future budding engineer, I had a great plan. My plan was this. I went into my grandpa's garage, and I got a good sturdy chain. And I tied the chain around the stump, underneath where the bowl is, under the stump, so I had a good grip on the roots. And then I was going to tie the other end of the chain to my dad's 1959 Chevrolet Bel Air. 348 cubic inches, 350 horsepower, four barrel. This thing was the very definition of a muscle car. And so I knew I couldn't tie it uh, to the fender, just pull the fender off. So what I did, what any smart 16-year-old would do, I tied it to the rear end, or the differential. I wrapped the chain around the rear end, sealed it off. Leroy's staying there. He's going, he's all excited. I'm in the car. I get it revved up, revved up pull it into drive, and, and the car just shakes and shimmers like this, and boom, finally it let go. Actually, the stump didn't let go, the rear end let go. The rear end, the axle, the two tires on the rear were off of the car, and it were just sitting there. The stump didn't move an inch. So here's the real message of that story. It's tough to go forward when you're rooted in the past. It's tough to go forward when you're rooted in the past. Now I want to ask you a question this morning that comes directly from Jesus. And that question has the power to change your life. This one question is so important that it should be the primary question 
that every parent asks about their teenager. It should be the primary question that every married couple asks of their marriage. Every time there's uh, pain in your life, every time there's suffering, every time there's a difficult job, financial situation, every time you face something difficult, the question must be asked. And here's that question. What can this become? Not what is this. <laughs> we already know that, right? What can this become? The power to change your life is the power of focusing on what God wants to do in the future. So often, we all get stuck in the past and in the present, right? I mean, when, I remember when uh, Sherry and I lost our son, Tyler. I remember feeling like I would never, ever feel normal again. But you know what? To the grace of God, there's a time when you say, you know, I still really miss Tyler, and I can't wait to see him in heaven. But you know, God has something more for me. What can this become? Now, we learn this from Jesus. Uh, Jesus collected 12 men to be his disciples. And these 12 men were a ragtag bunch. Uh, I mean, if you remember kind of who they were, uh, Peter, uh, a fisherman, and he took these 12 people and he identified them, he tapped them on the shoulder, and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here's Thomas. Thomas didn't ask the question, what can this become? Thomas said, what is this? You know, he's always doubting, right? There's James and John, the, thun, the sons of thunder. Uh, what kind of great uh, grace-filled evangelicals were they going to become, right? Matthew, a selfish tax collector, all of them were a mess. All of these 12 disciples were a mess. But here's the, here's the remarkable thing about Jesus' leadership. Jesus saw beyond the mess that he saw in them. What was it about Jesus that liberated people from their pasts and freed them to go on to something, to become something they've never dreamed of? Here it is. Jesus was not focused on what people were like. He was focused on what they could become. Jesus was not focused on what people were like. He was focused on what they were be to become. The woman taken in adultery. Everybody saw her in the context of her present life, except for Jesus. He said, woman, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. You've got a, you've got a brand new life. You've got to look at the future and see what God has in store for you. The rich young ruler, everybody was stuck in the fact that he was rich and good-looking and famous and all of that. Jesus looked beyond that. Or how about the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus? Jesus didn't look at their circumstance in that moment. He looked at what they could become. Show me a parent of a teenager who's focused on what their kid is, and they'll be a discouraged parent. Focus, have a, a couple that are going through difficulties in their marriage and have them focus on what it is and there'll be such sadness and such discouragement. But focus on what it can become, that changes the game completely. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I see the future. Three years from now, after I've poured into you my heart and my soul, and we've done life and ministry together, three years from now, I'm going to release you, and you will be fishers of men. What does God want to do with my life? Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. 
No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling you. What can this become? What can this Christ follower become when, they redeem, when their life is redeemed and they surrender their heart and their will to Jesus Christ? What can this teenager that's giving me so much trouble in my home, I'm so worried about that, what this, can this teenager become when their life is surrendered to Jesus Christ? What can this marriage become when the husband and the wife, instead of being focused on the present and the past, say, what can I do to be a Christ follower in my marriage? What can this become? When you ask that question, and you ask that question over and over again, and throughout Jesus' ministry, he always asked that question of people. Here's what happens. You get a fresh vision. If you're stuck in the present and the past, your vision stays the same. But when you start asking the question, what can this become? What can I become? What can you become? Then you get a fresh vision. Okay, now that's something new. And that's something I can work towards. That's something I can press into. Something I can believe in. What can I become? When I was 11 years old, um, I was in the sixth grade, and I had just shifted in that year from one set of friends to another. I kind of went away from my uh, church friends and some of my uh, 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 sports buddies, and I moved to this other group of kids that weren't very good for me, and I wasn't very good for them. So they had this tree fort that we built, and the tree fort, we'd go there after school, and that's where I learned all the great things in life, right? I learned how to smoke, and I learned about girly magazines, and that's where you go to learn about these things, and so that's kind of the trajectory of my life. And so one Friday night, the kids were all going to stay at overnight in the fort house, and we were going to, you know, probably do some things we shouldn't have been doing. And my dad said, no, I don't like these friends of yours. No, you're not going. I was so angry. I was so mad. I, was, I just cried myself to sleep that night. But my dad was ruining my life. So next morning, we get a knock on the door. And it's a police officer. Now, we live in a rural part of San Diego where police officers, you never see them. You know, we're five miles away from the normal beaten path. And he knocks on the door. And my dad answers the door. And, my, and he says, uh, is your son Dwayne here? And uh, so he goes and gets me, and I come out, and he says, was your son at home all last night? And my dad looked at me, and he said, uh, yeah, I think he was, you know, with not a lot of confidence, right, you know. And uh, come to find out, I was, but those friends that were caught doing what they did, and let me tell you what they did, they broke into a store, they stole a bunch of things, and they went over to the, the, the school that we went to, the public school, and they took uh, ice picks, and they carved swastikas in all of the wooden doors, 11-year-old kids, 11, 12-year-old boys, thinking that was cool. It wasn't cool. And, uh, so, and then they told, when they got caught, they said, well, Dwayne Cross was part of us, you know, even though I wasn't there. My dad sat me down after that, and he said, now, Dwayne, I want you to look at, you're 11 years old now, next year you're going to junior high school, I want you to kind of look at your life right now and see what your life will look like four or five years from now if you stay on this same path. He wasn't mad or upset. He just, I want you to envision what your life will be if you stay on this. Now, I was a normal kid, and I could see that, okay? And he said, now, what if you I, go back to your old friends, your church friends, and the guys that you play sports with, and what if you stay with them, and what kind of a trajectory, what kind of a life would you see in four or five years for you that way? And my dad let me 
hear that and live it and believe it and thank God I listened to my father. One time I did, right? And, and I actually did what he said. Then three years after that, I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. I was very excited about high school. My dad pulled me aside again and here's what he said. He said, son, I want you to know something. I see four years from now, I see you having a scholarship. Either an academic or a sports scholarship, doesn't matter to your mom and I, but I think you have the ability to do that. He said, now, mom and I, we don't have any money, so we won't be able to send you to college, but I believe that I can see that you could do this if you really apply yourself in high school. And guess what I did? It's exactly what I did. My dad had a vision that I adopted as my vision, and I went on that new trajectory of life, and everything changed in my life. That's what Jesus is talking about. When you set your heart and your mind and your eyes on something in the future that matters, that's bigger than you, God says, I promise you that I will help you make, especially if it's God's dream, right? I will help you make that. What are the benefits of asking this question? And the question I want you to hear over and over again, what can this become? What are the benefits of asking the question, what can this become? I want to share just a few things with you from the Word. The first thing is this. The first benefit to asking the question, what can this become? Passion replaces discouragement. Passion replaces discouragement. So I think you all remember when you were children. In fact, you could go over right now into our children's department and see our kids over there singing and doing their Bible story. And if you were to do that, and if Pastor Barb or the teacher of the class would say, now children, how many of you children can sing this song? Think, oh, oh, I can sing, I can sing this song. Even if they're terrible singers, they think they can sing, right? Uh, how many of you kids know this Bible verse? Oh, I know this Bible, even though they have no idea what the Bible verse is. But there's something cool about raising your hand. I can do this. You know, and what do, you, do you know the Bible? So I can do this. Okay, now fast forward 10 years. Those same kids. Now at 9 o'clock service, they sit over here. Our teenagers, yeah, about 40 of them sit over here at 9 o'clock service. And you ask the same question to those same kids 10 years ago. Now you ask them, uh, kids, do you know, can you sing that song for me? Here's their response. Uh, kids, do you know the Bible story that Pastor Brian told you in class today? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. They got nothing, right? You know, one of them might raise their hand. No, I'm not going to. What happened? <laughs> Where's the passion? Where's the joy? See, this happens to us as adults as well, doesn't it? We start out gung-ho with our, our marriage and everything's great and we're just putting into it and we're dating and we're doing all the right things and then seven years after we get married, look what happened. We do that in our Christian lives. We start off all gung-ho, we get baptized, we're excited, the Lord is good, and, everything. and then we slowly, life kind of eats away at us, and we go like that five-year-old to a 15-year-old almost overnight. We lose our passion. Do you know why? Because we've lost our vision. We don't see a vision for what God can do in the future. We're stuck in the now. These teenagers are stuck in the now. They're stuck in, what am I going to have for lunch? What's my friend doing? You know, what's going to happen tomorrow? They're stuck in the now. Now, there's nothing wrong with living in the now. We want to be present in the now. But God says, I've got something better for you. I want you to identify what God's dream for your life is in the future. And I want you to live into that. And I want you to press into that. What can this become? What can this teenager become? What can this Christ follower become? What can this marriage become? It opens up possibilities. We go from just being kind of lifeless to passionate. We have new energy. 
what can this become? I have a friend who is a uh, marriage and family therapist. And I asked her one time, I said, what is your goal in counseling? And her, her answer surprised me. My goal in counseling is to give the couple that I'm meeting with 10% hope. Her goal was never 100% hope. That's just not possible. But if I can get a couple that's really struggling in their marriage to have 10% hope, she said, I think I've won the victory. Because the thing that causes people to quit is when they lose hope. They have no hope. Here's the way Paul said it. Anyone who belongs to Christ, that's anyone in here, by the way, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Let's live in to that new life. Let's don't focus on what is dead. Let's focus on what is alive. God wants us to see that. Passion replaces discouragement. Benefit number two of asking that question Experience great comebacks. I wonder how many of you have experienced comebacks in your life. I'll bet you every one of you has. Maybe as a kid or a teenager, as an adult, you've experienced great comebacks. Well, check out some of these comebacks. Jonah started out running away from God, but ended up influencing an entire city. Thomas started out racked by doubt, but ended up taking the gospel all the way to India. Moses did nothing significant for the first two-thirds of his life. By the way, I find that very encouraging. I don't know about you. But ended up delivering two million people from centuries of slavery. Jacob started out as a liar and ended up becoming a leader. Timothy started out shy, fearful, and insecure, but ended up becoming an Apostle Paul's number one protege. Paul started out persecuting Christians, but ended up writing the majority of the New Testament. John Mark started out as a quitter, but ended up tapped by the Spirit of God to paint a portrait of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark. And Peter started out as an arrogant loudmouth who threw Jesus under the bus, but ended up as a great Christian leader. That story can be yours. We've got to experience and expect great comebacks. Your life is not over. Your life is just on pause, perhaps, and maybe that pause is of your own doing, but your life is not over. Here's the promise of God. He said, I'm going to write the last chapter of your book. I'm going to write the end of your story. You're not going to write that. I'm going to write the end of your chapter of your book. So you can expect that God wants to give you a comeback. God wants to give you a comeback. Benefit number three, grace frees. Grace frees. Grace liberates. What can this become? What can I become? Paul, once again in Galatians 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. How many Christ followers are still bound up in slavery to their past sin and slavery to the law? How many Christ followers have never experienced the wonder of God's grace at our Easter service a couple of weeks ago, uh, a woman that came to church the following Sunday, I, I didn't see her today, but um, uh, she came to church. She said, I have never heard that word grace explained before. I explained that during the message on Easter Sunday. I never knew what that meant. See, what we, what we hear about is justice, which is important. Justice says you're going to pay for your sins. Okay, we know that. The wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's God's mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Okay, so we love mercy. But grace, grace is God lavishing his love on us in spite of the fact that we are yet sinners. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Justice is deserved. Mercy is amazing, but grace is taking that sinner and lavishing God's goodness upon them. The prodigal son is a perfect example. He did everything wrong as a son. He did everything wrong. Talk about a bad Mother's Day. We never talk about the prodigal son's mother, but man, she must have had terrible Mother's Days all those years. And finally the kid comes back, and he comes back, and the best he could have hoped for is being treated like a servant. But instead he was welcomed as a son. And then he was given mercy. And then he was given grace, a robe and a ring and a fatted calf and a party. And that is God's grace. You got to live in that. If you're stuck in the past about some sin you had in the past, the blood of Jesus has covered your sin, past, present, and future. You got to live in that. You've got to stop worrying, worrying about what happened yesterday and what hurt, what you did wrong. You give it to Jesus, you trust his blood, and you start looking forward to what God has for you. What can this become? What can my life become now? If I truly am forgiven, if I truly leave that in the past, what can my life become now? Too many people are so stuck in, well, I used to be. I mean, I am a gambling addict. But here's what my life has become, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's what God does with gambling addicts. That's what God does with you. That's what God does with me. What can this become? We walk in grace. You have been set free. Now, some of you are freed, but you're not fueled. <laughs> and that's where the next benefit comes in. You are set free to dream. You are set free to dream. So I was thinking about all of the different dreamers in the Bible, to use an example here. And there's a lot of them. Joseph was obvious. But one of the dreamers that we don't think about very much is Jonah. Because Jonah was like me. Jonah had his own dream, his own way of doing things. And, uh, and yet God had a completely different dream, a completely different idea of what he should do. But that's, that's me. Here, here's what I do on a weekly basis. Okay, here's a project. Here's a, here's a difficult situation. Here's something I have to deal with. Okay, now how am I going to approach it? How am I going to bring scripture into it? How am I going to do this? And I go through all this and I worry and I fret and all of that. And then finally at the end of my time, I say, you know what I haven't done yet? I haven't prayed. <laughs> I've done all this on my own strength and I'm a pastor, you know, and I'm doing all this and I'm trying to figure it all out. Oh, that's right. I need God's vision for this. I need God's plan for this. I need to not to stay stuck. Okay, this is what it is. But what can it be? The way I do pastoral counseling is I always ask people to think, what can this be down the road? So here's Jonah. Jonah's great because uh, he was told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh and it's a wicked city and I want you to tell them they're in serious trouble of just being squashed if they don't turn to God and repent and there's a chance for them if they turn to God. But they're in serious trouble. Jonah didn't like Nineveh. They were a bunch of sinners, you know, you know, who wants to be around those sinners, you know, and so Jonah, he didn't want that, so here's what Jonah did, instead of going to Nineveh, say Nineveh is over here, he went to Port of Joppa, and he said, I'm going to sail over here to Tarshish, <laughs> okay, the, what's the furthest way I can get away from Nineveh, that's what Jonah did, and you know the story, gets on the boat, some sailors take him on board a boat, 
everything goes wrong, a big storm comes up, the sailors, very superstitious, said, somebody on this boat is a bad person. Jonah says, well, it's probably me. They throw him overboard, and you know the rest of the story. But here's, here's the part I want you to hear uh, in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, this is what happens after Jonah tries his plan, his dream, you know, his idea that this is how life should work. Bad people are crushed. People like me are graced. You know, that's kind of his way of thinking. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord says in Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Oh, that's right. I forgot to tell you. He was swallowed by a great fish. We don't know what kind of a fish it was, but it was a great fish, right? And when Jonah prayed, the Lord, his God said from inside the fish, he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. If you're inside of a big fish sitting with seaweed wrapped around your head and sitting in gastric juices, you would pray too. I believe me, you would, okay? Well, I'm an atheist. No, you'd pray. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Okay, the Lord's listening. Jonah, you tried this your own way. This is kind of what got you in this mess. The Lord heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. In other words, he's feeling sorry for himself. Oh, poor me. You know, well, Jonah, you kind of chose this yourself. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. He says, okay, God, I'm going to give you one more chance to rescue me. I'm such a great guy. You know, you don't, you don't want me to be, you know, disappear, right? I'm such a great guy. And then he says, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in earth whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. I have a different dream for you, Jonah. I have a different vision for you. I want you to understand that there's something out there that you haven't experienced left. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. That's kind of what I do. When everything else is going wrong, I say, oh yeah, by the way, I should pray about this. You know, oh yeah, I, there is the Lord out there. After all, that's what I've given my life to. And that's what Jonah did. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I, you can just see him singing songs of praise inside the great fish. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes to the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. It's pretty cool. So what did Jonah learn? He learned that his dream was not God's dream, and God's dream was not his dream. And until he aligned his heart and his life, and his, actually his spirit, with God's purpose and plan, he was always constantly going away from the Lord. So here he is, sitting on the land, still uh, with seaweed wrapped around him, and the Lord comes up to him and says, Hey, Jonah, Lord, you rescued me. You're wonderful, God. I'm going to serve you forever. Hey, Jonah, I've got, I've got something I want you to do. Lord, I'll do anything for you. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. <laughs> oh, that, we're back to that again. Okay. I want God's dream his purpose. He said, Jonah, I want you to understand something. I want you to see what you can become. Not what you are or what you think is right. I want you to see what you can become. We need dreams. We need God's dreams. Now, some people have no dreams. And for those of you who are in that category, you're so discouraged by life. You're so hopeless 
about life that you have no dreams. I understand that. I think we've all been there at different times. But God says, I want to give you a dream. Now, some of you have low dreams. Now, low dreams aren't bad dreams. Low dreams are things like, I want to go to a cruise, or I want to retire, or I want a new car. Nothing wrong with those dreams. Those are good. But those are low dreams, okay? Those are not God dreams. They're not lofty dreams. They're, they're low dreams. Some have the wrong dream. Some say, well, I want to rule, be the ruler of the world, or I want to be wealthy. Those are the wrong dream. Let me say it this way. Don't put first-class allegiance to second-class causes, okay? Don't put first-class allegiance, oh, I want to be wealthy, I want to be king of the world, to second-class causes. So some have the wrong dream, but then others have God's dream. That's what Jonah was missing, that Jonah finally got. That's what I pray that you will receive as you ask God, Lord, what is your dream for me? What can I become? What can my marriage become? What can my teenager become? What can I become? You are set free to dream. Dream God's dream. Align with God's heart. The last benefit is this. Benefit number five. Forward momentum. This morning uh, in the first service, um, um, first service is almost always packed, but today it was especially so. I think it's because of Mother's Day and and I told them that this is usually the case with second service. So I was kind of bragging on you a little bit. I get this sense in second service often, and, and it's something like this. When the word is being preached, or the worship is being done, and that we're involved in worship, I sense many of you second service people, many of you leaning forward. Not physically, but some of you, yes, physically. There's this sense, I see in many of you, even right now, I see this sense of, I need this word, I need encouragement, I need hope. God, speak to me, I need this, I want this. And there's this kind of leaning in. God wants us to experience forward momentum, leaning into his life. After the um, uh, Easter service, uh, there was uh, a woman that came to me after the service when we were there, and she said that... Um, part of our church, not just uh, a new woman, but somebody from our church. And she said, I invited somebody to come to Easter Sunday. And um, I've always been afraid to do that before, but I invited somebody to come to Easter Sunday. And she said, and she came. And she said, and she raised her hand to receive Christ. She said, I'll never be afraid again. How many people are afraid to take a simple step like inviting their neighbor to come to church. Oh, they'll think I'm weird. Well, you are, so get over it. You know, they'll think you're odd. You know, well, you know, so, you know, so what? You know, take a risk. Move forward. Lean in. Sherry and I have these wonderful neighbors, and they've come to church quite a few times. And Sherry is so wonderful because she just won't let them go. She keeps saying, you know what? You got to come this Sunday because we have this going on. And, come, and it's just, oh, she loves them so much. We love them so much. Just, we just won't quit. Forward momentum. And this morning, we're going to, in just a few minutes, we're going to have our baptism. In the first service, it was so much fun. We had a big guy, a guy about my size, Matt Miller, who was baptized and when he was baptized, he came out of the water, the whole thing just goes sploosh, and there's water everywhere. So next time we're going to do a tarp thing. We didn't do this time. But anyway, the, but the, here's the neat part. Here's the neat part. Um, Matt uh, had written, all, we had all the people write kind of their testimony of why they want to be baptized. 
And Matt uh, wrote his, and I asked him for permission to read what he said in part of his testimony. Here's what he said. Baptism to me is a symbolic fresh start and is a way of publicly committing to follow Christ. Uh, Matt and Nicole and Nick, uh, their teenage son, have been coming to our church for about six months. I've been a believer for most of my life and have, never, and have seen God work through me and protect me many times. For all the blessings I have received, I have many times f- felt guilt, knowing that I have repeatedly failed to follow his law as faithfully as I should. I have comfort knowing that Jesus has paid my debt in full for all that I have done and will continue to do until the day we meet. And then he goes on. Baptism is a way for me to commit to try to live my life better in a way that will please him. You can just, in these words, you can just feel Matt leaning forward, pressing into Jesus, saying, I, I want to take another step closer. When he was baptized in this water and went everywhere, the people in the congregation were just cheering, you know, at this, this visual of his sins being washed and his life being renewed. And he goes on and he says, I want to live my life in a better way. I have a lot to learn and will need much help in my journey. And I believe that he has led my family and I to hope at this time for a reason. Several months ago, when the opportunity to be baptized was announced, I knew that this was the place and time to take the next step. Here's somebody that's saying, what do I do to take a next step? How do I move closer to Jesus? How do I know him more? How do I speak into my teenage son, Nick, who's already a leader in our youth group? How do I speak into him? This is what you can become, son. And look at my life. This is what I've become. Look at your mother's life. This is what she's... And you know what? We're not done. We're still moving forward. The baptism today, these four individuals are going to say in different ways through their written testimonies and through what they're going to say when I ask them questions. They're going to say this, I belong to Jesus. And I don't care who knows it. I'm a child of the King. And my life belongs to Him. That's living with a future. That's a declaration of dependence. That's saying, I belong to Jesus, and I don't care who knows it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you feel dejected or discouraged about your life this morning, if you desire to move to a higher level of living now and in the future, no strategy is more powerful than to focus on what you can become rather than what you are. So let me ask the question one last time. What can you become? A life fully committed, fully devoted to Jesus Christ. What can you become? Would you bow your heads with me, please?